Yes to our salvation, yes to allowing us into his holy family. Uh, we rejoice in the Lord in that. So uh, let's give the worship team another hand this morning. This thing's so amazing. All right. Well, everybody doing all right? Y'all don't sound all right. Y'all doing all right? <laughs> good, 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 good. Well, I am uh, excited this morning, um, like I am every Sunday morning. I'm going to keep saying I'm excited, too, uh, <laughs> because the Lord has done amazing things in my life um, and in the life of this church. So uh, I'm just thankful for that and grateful to the Lord. So um, I- I'm, I'm like on a spiritual high right now. Coming from the conference this weekend, anybody get to go to the conference this weekend? Did you have a good time? Were you blessed by the Lord there? Um, it's an awesome time. I get to hear some of my heroes preach and and speak and share. So it was it was amazing. I'm like filled up to the brim. So um, so I'm encouraged. Um, Welcome to all of our visitors. My name is Pastor Derek. Uh, I'm the pastor here at Epiphany Church, and it's my privilege to welcome you today. So uh, if this is your first time with us, we say thank you uh, for joining us today, and we're just happy that you're here. Um, so um, we've been in a series um, called Unmasked, but before I get to that, uh, I told you all last week that we were going to kick off a new uh, initiative this week, and I didn't lie to you. I, w- I meant that. Um, so the initiative that we're going to be doing, I'm really excited about it, and it's really quick. Um, we want to begin to invite people to church because we believe that God has called us to reach lost people and see them saved. And then see saved people be pastored, pastor people get trained, right? And then train people mobilized to go out and get some more lost people, all right? So that's what, that's what we're after here. We're after seeing the lost be reached for Jesus. Uh, and one of the, the first ways for that to happen is for us to invite people in. So we're starting a little campaign called Need an Epiphany. Y'all like that? That's cool, right? <laughs> uh, so we want to invite people in. So what we're going to ask you to do, because uh, my job as the pastor is to equip you to do the work of the ministry, right? So what we're going to do is we're going to ask that everybody take 10 cards. So on the front of the card, it says, need an epiphany, right? And we believe that the epiphany that people need to have is that they need to know God, they need to find freedom, discover their purpose, so that they can ultimately make a difference, right? So we're going to ask that you take like 10 of these cards. On the back, it says, next one, you're invited, right? And it has all of our information on there, how they can follow us on social media and all that stuff like that. But we want to invite people to the church. We want to get people in the door uh, so that they can hear the gospel message of Jesus so that they can uh, have their lives transformed. So everybody knows 10 people. I don't care what you say. You know 10 people. Uh, and you can hand those people a card. You ain't got to say nothing. Just give them a card and say, hey, you're invited to my church. All right. So that's what we want to kick off. We want to get you guys excited about doing that uh, because we want to be inviting people uh, to church so that they can hear about the gospel. message. And for those of you that are members here at this church, you should be doing that regularly and be excited about doing that because this is your church. Right. All right. 
Come on, come on, y'all wake up this morning. <laughs> so uh, we're going to start this campaign. So on your way out, uh, you can see uh, Janae at the hospitality table. Janae, wave your hand. She's back there in the back. And you can see me too. I got some up here. Take 10 cards and invite 10 people to church. So next week, right, we're going to have our, we're going to have baptisms. Uh, we've got some people who have, who gave their life to Jesus. They're going to be getting baptized. Um, and we're going to, right after service, we're going to have a fellowship. So, and just invite people and say, hey, we're going to have a little fellowship after church. We're going to have some food. Come on out. Uh, it's going to be a good time and just come check it out. Okay. People like checking stuff out all the time. They check out everything. So. We're going to invite people to come check out our church. And because here's what we want. We want an army of people that love Jesus, who know God, who love the word, that live woven with one another, who live lifestyles of worship and then leverage their work. We want a whole army of people that are able to do that. Right. Amen. So it starts with getting them and inviting them to church. Okay. Everybody good. All right. Now we're going to jump into continuing into the series unmasked. Um, Last week, we talked through unmasking. What did we talk about? <laughs> unmasking indecision. Unmasking indecision. And we talked about how we wear masks uh, because of shame. And we wear those masks because um, of indecision, because we think that people are going to judge us. And we think that people are going to think something about us or say something about the things that we decide to do. But we want to get free from that. So. Uh, this series is, is, is good and it's cool because we're in Halloween season, right? Halloween's on Wednesday. People have been wearing masks. I've seen people the other day walking down the street with their costumes on already. Like, they're excited about Halloween. Like, I know some people around here, they keep their Halloween decorations up all year long. <laughs> they keep them up because they like to pretend to be something that they're not. But the truth of the matter is, is that most of us walk around wearing masks all the time, pretending to be someone that we're not. And that's because of shame and that's because of hurt and pain. We don't want people to know the real us. So we wear masks. We pretend like we're tough. We pretend like we've got it going on. We pretend like all these things are happening when if we would just show, show people our true selves they would get to see the authentic nature of who God created us to be. So when you wear a mask, guess what? You hide God's unique design and creation that he chose you and only you to be able to display to the whole world. Amen. Amen. So uh, we're going to trek through that today um, with unmasking insignificance. Unmasking insignificance. This is a heavy word, but I want to, us to deal faithfully with this from the scriptures. Uh, many times we struggle with feelings of insignificance. We struggle with feelings of insignificance. We believe that we serve no purpose. We believe that our lives are meaningless. We believe that what we do doesn't matter. But I want to help us get unmasked from insignificance today by letting you know that insignificant things matter to God. Insignificant things matter to God. Turn with me, if you will, to Genesis chapter 1. Um, the Lord's not letting me out of the book of Genesis. Um, we've been here for three weeks. But the book of Genesis chapter 1, um, verse 31. 
hear these words of our father. It says that God saw all that he made and it was very good indeed. Evening came and the morning and the sixth day. Father, thank you for your word, Lord. Help us to trek through this this difficult topic of insignificance, God, and help us to tackle it, God. Help us to be unmasked from every feeling of insignificance that is trying to cripple us, God. Help us to be unmasked from every thought of insignificance that makes us think that we don't matter, that makes us think that what we do doesn't matter, God. I pray, Lord, that you would show up here today, God, and that you would set somebody free today through your word, God. Release somebody today from the bondage of, of feeling insignificant, God. Release somebody from the bondage and baggage, God, of feeling like they don't matter, God, because we know that if we're in you, God, we are the most valuable thing that you have, that we have the most valuable thing that you could ever give, and that is your son. And it's in Jesus' name that I pray, Lord, that you would stand in my body and think through my mind, God, and, and speak through my mouth and let the words of my mouth, meditations of my heart, be acceptable in, my, in your sight, my Lord, my strength, and my Redeemer, in whom I trust. In Jesus' name I pray. Amen. Okay, maybe y'all forgot, right? And maybe because these lights are shining on me. I, I know I'm light-skinned, uh, and I look a little bit lighter, but I'm still a black preacher. Uh, so <laughs> I need y'all to talk back to me, okay? Uh, uh, the less you talk back, the more I'm going to talk. So if you want to get out of here, y'all better talk to me. Uh, but also, you've got a responsibility, I told you this a couple weeks ago, to, to, to charge me with bringing the word of God to you so that you can be enriched by God's word and so that you can be filled up by God's word. So the way that you do that is by responding back when you hear something good okay and listen i'll give you one good even if you hear something that you don't like you can say ouch and that's all right too okay so i just need y'all responding and talking back to me this morning because i'm still a black preacher i know i look light-skinned up here and extra light with these lights shining on me but y'all go ahead and talk back to me this morning all right listen success is often reached through the insignificant stuff when Pat Riley, he coached the Los Angeles Lakers from 1982 to 1990, half of y'all don't even know who I'm talking about because you weren't even born in 1990. Uh, but the team won four NBA championships. And it's when he, after he won those four championships with the Lakers, he went over to the New York Knicks in 1991. And Riley, he, and he inherited a team with a losing record. But the Knicks, <laughs> but the Knicks seemed able to play above their abilities and even gave, uh, the, 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 the eventual champions, the Chicago Bulls, the hardest competition that they faced in the playoffs. How did Pat Riley do that? How did he accomplish that? Well, he says that his talent lies and his attention to the insignificant details. For example, most NBA teams, they study videotapes and compile stats of and, and evaluate players based on their game performance. How many rebounds did they have? How many points did they score? How many of their free throws did they complete? That's those the kind of things that they calculate and study uh, in the NBA room. But Instead, he says, we ignored uh, the performance areas that are often looked at. And we looked at things like, are you jumping for every rebound, even if you don't get the rebound? 
He said, are you reaching and swatting at every ball, even if you don't steal the pass? He looked at whether you were diving for loose balls, whether you recovered the loose ball or not. And he said he, he looked to see if you were running to take a charge. That's when you stand in front of the person and they're going to the basketball court and they hit you and you fall over. That's called a charge, right? So if you're moving your feet, it's called, hang on, nobody here play. Okay, a block. It's called a block. So he's measuring those kinds of things. The things that don't show up on the stat line. You don't get any credit for those types of things in the newspaper. Uh, I'm preaching already. If somebody was in here listening, see, after each game, he called these effort statistics and he punched them into the computer. And Pat Riley would explain that what ultimately separates the journeyman players, the player who goes from team to team, bouncing all uh, back and forth all over the place, what separates the journeyman from the impact player is how he executes on the insignificant things of the game. And see, I'm here to let you know that the insignificant things, they matter. Insignificant things matter and they matter to God. Your insignificant job matters to God. Your insignificant efforts, they matter to God. The insignificant position that you hold in your life, it matters to God. And the insignificant people that are in your life that you don't want to pay attention to and the insignificance that you feel in your life, guess what? That all matters to God. First thing I want to note to us is this is that insignificance and feelings of insignificance are about not seeing what God sees. Insignificance is about not seeing what God sees. Genesis, he says that God, he saw. See, you need to know that God sees things differently than you do. See, God sees the insignificant job that you have differently than you see it. See, God sees the insignificant dream that you've been dreaming about and that you tell everybody, well, my dream really doesn't matter. It's not that big of a dream. Guess what? That insignificant dream that you have, it matters to God. That insignificant passion that you've got, God, he sees that thing differently too. See, if you would begin to see things the way that God sees things, then you will begin to radically change. See, that's why we need to remove the mask of insignificance from our lives, because when we wear a mask of insignificance, we tell God that the way that he sees things is not the right way. We tell God that the way that he views things is not the way that things should be viewed. In fact, if God really knew how insignificant this job was that I go to every single day, nobody cares about anything that happens in this place. I'm not making any difference here. I'm not doing anything valuable here. If you really knew what God wanted for you, even in the significance of the position that you hold, your life would begin to change in how you approach the things that you do every single day. See, we need new eyes for the insignificant work that Christ is calling us to. See, you can't do what God is calling you to do unless you begin to see with new eyes. 
In his classic work, Seeing with New Eyes, David Paulson, he quotes a, a French author, and he says that it's only the only true voyage of discovery towards significance, the, the only fountain of eternal youth would not be to visit strange lands all over the earth, but it would be to possess the eyes of another in order to behold the universe as others see the universe. See, we can travel to different countries, as most of us like to do sometimes. We can go and travel to different countries, and when we get there, we arrive at those new countries. The way that we look at things is not the way that people who are indigenous to that place actually view those things. So you might arrive into a different culture, right? And you might get to a different country, and you see things, and you're like, wow, that's cool. I like that stuff. But if you don't hold this, if it doesn't hold the significance to you that it holds to the indigenous people, of that place then you're not really seeing what you ought to see and what i'm saying to you is this is that there is a heavenly perspective that god wants each and every one of us to have about our lives and he wants us to see things through his eyes so see most of us are so busy seeking out other lands to explore because we feel like the land where we currently reside is insignificant we see, see, we say stuff like, I need to be in a different job right now. I need to be at a different school because this place that I'm at right now is not really meeting my needs. We say stuff like this. Watch out. We say, I need a different husband because the one I got is not fulfilling what I need in my life. We say stuff like, I need a different church because the church that I'm currently at is not being significant enough and it's not fulfilling the things that I actually need in my life. See, but when we believe that stuff, we believe that when we believe that stuff, we're looking with the wrong eyes. When we believe that stuff and we watch other people's relationships on Instagram, we're viewing it with the wrong eyes. See, we're watching people on Instagram and seeing them happy and smiling and all that stuff like that. And we're not realizing that they're just posing for the picture. See, there's some things in your life that you might be looking at other people. You might be looking at other situations and you might be looking at other circumstances. But those things are just posing for a picture. See, the reality is, is that your life is uniquely designed to be the way that it is by God. And you're exactly where God wants you to be in your life. See, we believe that our purpose isn't as significant because God hasn't called us to upfront ministry. We believe that we're not actually ministers of the gospel because we don't hold a mic every Sunday. See, we believe that we're not really servants of Christ because we don't get to lead people in the way that we want to lead people. But if you knew all of the spiritual warfare that came with being up front, if you knew with all the spiritual things that happened with being up front, you would run and hide. I'm here to tell you that. And see, listen, God loves. Here's what God loves to do. God loves to use the most insignificant people of all. And he loves to use the insignificant people to make the greatest impact in the world. You may never know their names, but their impact rings Throughout eternity, I'm reminded in Genesis when Abraham sends his servant to go and get his son a wife. 
and he sends him out to go get his son a wife. And he tells him, listen, go retrieve a, 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 a wife from my people's front for my son Isaac. And when you get there, I want you to bring her back to me. Now, this servant, he goes and he goes to find Isaac a wife from amongst the people of Abraham. And when he gets there, he discovers a wife and he brings her back to her. And, and, and Isaac rejoices. And guess what? The lineage and line of God continues on throughout for the rest of history until we get to Jesus. And guess what that servant's name was? We don't know. But without his obedience to his to, to his God, without his obedience to the Lord and going and doing the thing that God had commanded for him to do, we would not have ended up with Jesus. See, so I'm letting you know today that what you do, it may not seem like it matters. It may not seem like it amounts to anything, but you'll never know the impact that God is calling for your life to have, even in the insignificant things that you do every single day. See, we, we don't know his name. Uh, uh, and, and the Bible never tells us, but we believe that our daily responsibilities are insignificant because we're looking at everyone else appearing to live a life that's devoid of responsibilities and pursuing after their passions all day long. See, if you watch, if you look on Instagram all the time, you're going to see people living life as if they've got no real responsibilities. Hashtag living my best life. They up there living their best life and whatnot, going on trips and doing all this kind of stuff, but their bills ain't paid at the house. I want to tell you this, that what you feel ain't always what's real. See, be leery of things that promise you significance, but can't deliver on that promise. Oh, y'all supposed to say amen right there. <laughs> be leery of things that promise you insignificance, but they can't deliver on that promise. There you go. That was better. Y'all, y'all got it. Here's what I mean. Money. See, money will promise you significance, but it can't deliver. See, you'll begin to believe that the more money that you have, the more significant you'll be. That was the prodigal son's problem. He said, just give me my inheritance. Give me the money that's due to me so that I can go and live the life that I want to live, my best life, and then I'll be significant. But what happens when the money runs out? Your insignificant runs right out with it. It's your significance runs out right with it. See, we believe that fame promises us significance. You believe that the more popular you are, the more followers that you have on Instagram, the people that you have liking all of your pictures and stuff like that in your Insta stories, the more significant that you are. That was King Saul's problem. He wanted his men to like him. Therefore, he disobeyed what God commanded him to do. Because fame promises you significance. It promises you that, listen, if you can just get to 10,000 followers on Instagram, then you'll be doing all right in your life. But the reality is, is that there are people with millions of followers on Instagram and they feel insignificant every single day of their life. See, this one, this is a wicked one, because it takes what God 
has designed for good and it twisted. See, we believe that sex provides us with significance. See, we, we believe that it provides us with connection and attachment. Uh, and when you connect with someone sexually, you believe that they value your significance based on that attachment. But the reality is, is that everything is attached. Everything that is attached to you doesn't value you. Uh, see, at, at, anybody ever got bit by a mosquito? Mosquito ever bit you on your arm? See, what happens is when the mosquito bites you, it attaches itself to you. And when it attaches itself to you, guess what it begins to do? It begins to suck the life out of you. And so, listen, your search for instant, your search for significance from things that don't satisfy, guess what it's doing? It's sucking the life right out of you. So don't believe the lie that if something's attached to you, that it's for your good and for your benefit. So when you when you are engaging in those kinds of things and when you're engaging in the search for significance, you believe that you're finding significance and that it's giving you life. But the reality is, is that those things are sucking the life right on out of you. your search for money is is sucking the life right out of you. Your search for fame is sucking the life right out of you. Your search for connection by giving up your body to every person who's willing to take it. Guess what? It's sucking the life out of you. Here's what I want to tell you. God knows that your significance will scale. See, what I mean is, is that God knows that the significance of our character will scale. He, he, here's what Luke chapter 16 says. It says that he who is faithful and very little uh, or something significant will also be faithful in much. And he who is unrighteous in the little things, guess what they're going to be? They're going to be unrighteous in much. So when people say, because I know all of y'all played the Powerball and Mega Million this weekend trying to win. It's all good. <laughs> Just pay your tithes. Uh, <laughs> listen. We all say, well, you know, money won't change me. Okay. <laughs> but guess what? Here's, what, here's what's going to happen. And you see this on TV all the time. Uh, uh, I won a lottery and now I'm broke. You know why that is? Because before they won a lottery, they ain't know how to manage their money. Before they won a the lottery, they weren't faithful over little. And when they got much, guess what happened? It scaled. <laughs> so listen, God knows that your significance will scale. And because that is true, we know that little things make a huge difference. For example, our regular time with God in Bible reading and prayer makes a big difference. See, when you read your Bible, here's, what, here's the problem, though. It doesn't offer us any immediate maturity. No lights flash when you read your Bible. There's no sudden life change when you pray. You get your Bible and you go, God, this is so good. And then we go looking for stuff. We're looking for stuff to happen right away. That's not how it works. What happens is, is that it works as you read your Bible daily, as you pray daily, as you fast regularly. Guess what happens? It works to renew your mind and your heart over time. 
Just like it takes years to develop a lawn. My next door neighbor growing up, he had a, his lawn was always so nice. And I'd be like, Mr. Jim, why are your grass so nice and ours is brown? And my auntie made me come out here every day and cut the brown grass. Like, I don't understand the point. Mr. Jim's grass is green. And he told me, well, it takes years, son, of mowing and weeding and planting and pulling and mowing and weeding and planting and pulling and mowing and weeding and planting and pulling. See, it takes time to develop a lawn. So the same thing is with your spiritual maturity. It takes time to develop it. And it takes time to really develop a strong sense of significance in what you do in life. See, it takes many hard days of what seems like unproductive, insignificant, busy work to produce something beautiful. See, maintenance and growth work together. See, if you're not maintaining a thing, it will never grow. If you're not maintaining your relationship with God, it won't ever grow. And that's why little things matter to God. See, little, here's why little things matter. See, it says that in Proverbs uh, 24, it says that the sluggard, uh, he found his life was suddenly ruined because he assumed, here's what he assumed, that a little sleep and a little slumber amounted to nothing. He thought, well, if I just chill, like, it's, it's cool. Like, if I just, you know what I'm saying, like, I'm tired of this job. It don't feel like it's going nowhere. I'm tired of this relationship. It doesn't feel like it's going anywhere. This marriage isn't doing anything. It's not going anywhere. But you, be take, you begin to take days off. You begin to take days off from loving your, your wife as Christ loves the church. And when you take days off of doing that, you tell yourself that a little sleep and a little slumber, they amount to nothing. It's okay if I take a nap on being a good husband. It's okay if I take a nap on being a good steward over my finances. It's okay. It's okay if I take a nap on my responsibility to Christ and his church. If I just take a little nap, it won't amount to anything. But the reality is this. Is that little things make up big things. See, negatively, the scripture talks about it in this sense, that a little leaven leavens the whole lump. That the little foxes destroy the vine. That bad habits corrupt good morals. It's the little things that lead to big things. Positively, I know y'all going to like this. Pennies make dollars. They do. Bricks make walls. Days make up years. Seconds make up hours. So it's the little insignificant things that matter and when little things represent faithfulness to God they are crucial to our preparation for the expansion of our influence 
In other words, God is preparing you in the insignificant places in your life. See, planting seeds that grow trees is, is an insignificant life. See, when we ask God to rescue us from ins- the insignificance in our lives, when we believe that when believing that nothing is important is happening with us, when, when we, we, we need to remember that just the opposite is true. Little things matter to our big God. And planting a seed might seem like a small thing, but it grows into a tree. You can't get a tree without a seed. And the biblical principle of sowing and reaping reveals that we use reveals what we usually experience a delay between our obedience to God and the harvest that we reap. That's why he tells us in Galatians chapter six not to lose heart in doing good. Why? For in due season we will reap if we do not faint. Don't let the delay deceive you don't let the delay towards your purpose deceive you to to thinking that god doesn't have a purpose for you don't let the delay in the insignificant small things of your life deceive you into thinking that there is no purpose for you and that god has no plan for you because jeremiah tells us that he knows the plans that he has for us their plans to prosper us right plans for our good not to harm us Next point I want us to see is this, that insignificance is about not recognizing that God sees you. See, it says here that God saw all. See, wrestling with feelings about, of insignificance and doubt, uh, and doubting the faithfulness of God in your life, um, the, 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 wearing the mask of insignificance causes you to have an Eeyore spirit. Woe is me. Nobody likes me. Nothing I do matters. I'm stuck on this job. Woe is me. I'm stuck in this relationship. Woe is me. I'm stuck in this major. Woe is me. But I want you to see this. Is that when it says that God sees all, that includes you. See, Proverbs 15 says that the eyes of the Lord are in every place, seeing both the evil and the good. See, God sees everything. There's not one thing in your life that God does not see. In fact, there's not one potentiality of a thing that God does not see because God stands outside of time. So there are potentialities in your life based on decisions that you might choose not to make that God sees the end result of that decision that you could have made, but you didn't make anyway. So God sees every single thing that could ever happen in your life and he knows what's going on with you. That ought to bring us some comfort that we serve a God who sees us. See, there has never been a time in your life, there hasn't been one moment in your life when God didn't see you. There's been, there's never been one weeping moment. There's never been one tear that dropped from your eye that God did not see. 
There's never been one hair on your head that turned gray because of stress and anxiety that God did not see. See, and the mask of insignificance causes you to think that God is somehow asleep in your life. But I'm here to tell you that God neither sleeps nor slumbers. See, God, he, he doesn't have the ability to sleep. He can sleep if he wanted to, but he don't sleep because he's always watching after our souls. He's always seeing what's going on with us. See, the word here for seeing is, is the word here that, that, that means to consider. So the next time you feel insignificant, just know that God is always considering you. The word can also mean to have vision. So when you feel insignificant, you ought to know that God has a vision for your life. And he wants to see that vision be accomplished in your life, regardless of circumstances that might come up. So there's never a day in your life when God hasn't considered you. Uh, Psalms 8 tells us that it says that what is man that you are mindful of him and the son of man that you look after him. See, the psalmist, he after taking account of, of the works of God, he, he asked that question. That question is followed up by this. I want you to see this in Psalm chapter three. It says this. This is good. He says, when I consider the heavens. And the works of your hand, the moon and the stars which you set in place. After he has considered the vastness of God's creation, after he has considered everything that God has created, everything that God has made, after he had considered the marvelous Appalachian Mountains, after he had considered the vastness of the Pacific Ocean, after he had considered the depth of the Mariana Trench, after he had considered everything that God had made, he asked this question, what is man? that you are mindful of him see insignificance my next idea is this is that insignificance is about not recognizing your creator see it says that god saw all that he had made see you're struggling with knowing if your work is significant but i want to let you know that your mundane it matters. See, here's why your mundane matters. Jesus chose mundane activity for himself. See, it's amazing to me that the incarnate word of God, uh, who by him all things were created, that Colossians tells us, it says that at least 30 years of his life he spent doing carpentry. He spent 30 years of his life doing carpentry and no one even knew who he was. The God who created the whole earth that Colossians tells us, he created everything that has ever been created and through him and for him and to him are all things created. This God who created everything, he spent 30 years of his life in obscurity. And see, Jesus, the one whose words flung the planets into their alignment, he had the restraint of creative power. To showcase the value that God places on our daily work. See, 
Jesus was able to restrain himself enough so that he could show us that the mundane stuff that you do every single day that doesn't seem to matter, the mundane things that you're working on, that you're doing in your life, those things have value to God. You might be saying, all I do is make meals for my family. All I do is cook for my kids. But Jesus provided breakfast on a beach and supper on a hillside for his people. You might be saying, like, all I do is scrub hands and feet all day. I work as a nurse. All I do is help people do stuff. But guess what? Jesus washed his disciples' feet. You might say, I spend hours just holding babies. That's all I do is hold babies all day long and read to them. That's all I do. But guess what? Jesus said, let the little children come to me, and he took them in his arms. Listen, you might be feeling exhausted and snoozing off in the middle of the day because you feel like the mundaneness of your life doesn't matter uh, in the midst of commotion. But guess what? Jesus was asleep on a boat in the midst of commotion, and as he rose up from being asleep on the boat, he tells the storm, he says, peace be still unto you see and all of this following the years he spent daily plying at an earthly trade as a carpenter see it's comforting to have a savior who spent his limited days on earth doing things that oftentimes fill our lives jesus went to work every day building don't being a carpenter, making tables, making chairs, like he spent 30 years of his life doing that mundane stuff. And if the son of God, the son of man, who one day descended into the clouds, made time to hold kids and cook fish and do things that seem like they're insignificant, then surely you can find it a privilege to follow after his example. Here's what else. Jesus commanded others to do mundane activities. See, some of the things that Jesus asked people to do during the miraculous events, they seem terribly inefficient. Considering his almighty power, right? See, why did he ask the servants in Cana at the wedding to fill up 120 gallons of water to make wine? Jesus could have just said, wine. <laughs> <laughs> and there could have been wine in the in the jugs like he could have did that see we look for god to do it through something miraculous when he says that he wants to do it through the mundane that's why we always miss god's work in our life because we're constantly looking for the miraculous when god says i'm always working i'm always moving in your life you don't have to look too far for something miraculous because i'm doing something in the mundane in your life why do you ask the disciples he said go and see how many loaves they had why do you tell them that why do you tell them to go see how many loaves were there when Jesus could have just instantly said, like, hey, grass, bread, like, here it is. He could have did that. Why did he do that? He did that because we don't want any, we don't want God. Here's what we don't want. We don't want God to put any weight on us for what happens in our lives. We just want God to move mountains. And... And if you really understood 
the God that you serve, you would know that he didn't have to move a mountain in order for you to get past the situation. See, God can deliver you through the situation even if he doesn't move the mountain. So he tells the disciples, he says, listen, go find out how much bread we have. He's putting the weight on them. He's putting the responsibility on um, on them for the work that he's about to do. And the same is true with you, that God has put some weight on you in the small, minute things of your life. He's putting weight on you so that he can accomplish what he wants to do here on the earth. See, because when God works on the earth, guess who he uses? He uses us. In our weakness, in our frailty, God uses us to accomplish what he wants to accomplish on the earth. Why did Jesus send the blind man with spit (laughs) and mud on his eye? That was already weird enough. Like, Jesus, why you got the spit on the mud and put it in his eye? Why did he tell him, go wash in the pool? When Jesus had healed others of blindness instantly. See, we're looking for God to do something in our lives the way that he did it in the lives of others. But God says, I'm going to do the same thing in your life, but in a different way. See, God wants to do the same thing in your life. He has the same power when he's working in your life. Even if he's not doing it how he did it for the Jeffersons, he's going to do the same thing in your life. That's why we always miss the hand of God in our life, because we're always looking for God to do it a certain way. We're always looking for God to do it. Watch this, how we want him to do it. But God is saying, I don't have to do what you tell me to do. I do whatever I want to do because I'm sovereign. I could send a fish to swim up in the pond with a million dollars in its mouth, and you'd be standing outside fishing when you think that you're going to win the lottery. See, God doesn't have to do things the way that we think he's going to do it. See, there's lessons in each of these examples, but... The common thread is this, is that the omnipotent master of the universe chooses to work his miracles through the mundane daily activities of our lives. Like filling up water jugs, checking the pantry, and washing off mud, some things seem so insignificant, but they they must be elevated when Jesus is done in our lives. See, Jesus challenges our view of mundane activities. See, in a culture that prizes education, significance, and visibility, um, see, the the simple tasks of daily life and care uh, for the vulnerable, they're not highly valued in in this culture. But I want you to see firsthand um, in in some of the comments that I used to receive when I I transitioned from being a a behavioral specialist uh, working in schools and and a mental health therapist. Some of the comments that I received when I transitioned from that to being a pastor. People said stuff to me like, why are you wasting your degree? Why are you wasting your skills to go do something as trivial as teaching people about the Bible. Why why are you wasting your life in that way? Why would you move your family to a place like Wilmington? Even though I was from Camden, like, I I still don't understand that. Like, 
what y'all talking about? Like, I'm born and raised in Camden, New Jersey my whole life. Like, what are you talking about? Anyway. But they said stuff like that to me. However, not teaching about the God-man would have been failure for me in my life. See, I know that people looked at my, my life and they saw me. They, I, I was being elevated at the school that I was working at. I was getting ready to be an assistant principal and all that stuff like that. Like they were looking at the elevation that was happening in my life. And they said that you going to be a pastor is a failure. But being a pastor, not being a pastor would have been the failure in my life and not doing the thing that God has called you to do. That's the ultimate failure in your life. See, don't look at success and having a certain amount of money and not reaching that as a failure. Don't look at that kind of stuff as the failure in your life. Look at what God is doing in your life and not obtaining that as a failure. See, it's interesting to consider that Jesus didn't recruit a leadership team the way many of us have, would have recruited a leadership team. He chose the, his apostles from people who, watch this, were doing familiar manual labor. At least four of his disciples were fishermen. At least four of them. He converted Paul, the Pharisee, who was a tent maker. So I want you to see that when Jesus called them to their new role in following him, guess what he did? He elevated their old position. See, God didn't say, well, you're a fisherman. I don't want you to do that no more. Uh, he says, listen, you're a fisherman. That's great. That's awesome. That's wonderful. Guess what I'm going to do? I'm going to make you fishers of men. See, the ever-traveling Paul, he helps us to grab the temporariness of our, etern our earthly homes using the fam his familiarity with tents. See, that's why he was able to be such a great missionary, because he was comfortable living inside of tents. And God wants to take the same thing in your life, your current place, and he wants to use that for his glory. That's why we, we say come out the growth track and find out how God has wired you, how God has designed you so that you can use what God has already gifted you with and use that for his glory. I got to go. So listen, your, <laughs> your life ain't basic. It's beautifully built by God. And Jesus communes with us through the mundane activity in our lives. See, in the day that when devoted worshipers of God uh, made frequent visits, they make frequent visits to the temple, uh, God's dwelling place. So Jesus, he has this awesome promise that he said that he would commune with us when we serve him and serve those that are helpless and can't pay us back. That's what Jesus says. He says, whoever receives one such child in my name receives me. And whoever receives me not, doesn't just receive me, but they receive the one who sent me. God promises to commune with us in the mundaneness of our lives and the activities. But he also celebrates the mundane activities that are done in his name. He says, come, you who are blessed of my father and inherit the kingdom prepared for you, the foundation of the world. For I was hungry and you gave me food. I was thirsty and you gave me drink. I was a stranger and you welcomed me. I was naked and you clothed me. I was sick and you visited me. I was in prison and you came to me i find it interesting that the activities that i'm most tempted to despise in my life are celebrated by jesus
See, the, 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 the thing that I'm often, I'm, I'm often, uh, want to, to despise and put aside, God says, nope, those are the things that I want to celebrate in your life. See, we have a unique occasion before the return of Christ to serve him in a way that we won't ever be able to serve him ever again. See, your opportunities to care for that sick child, you are doing something that you won't be able to ever do again. And guess what? That ought to motivate you that your mundane matters. All of our mundane is meant to be offered as a living sacrifice before God. See, insignificance, and here's my last point, is this. Insignificance is about not knowing that God is pleased with you. See, he says that in verse 31, it says, God saw all that he made, and it was very good indeed. See, in fact, the Hebrew suggests that God was exceedingly pleased with you. See, his pleasure with us is in abundance. In fact, the word can be translated with muchness, even though that ain't a word. <laughs> See, I, 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 wish, I wish you knew how much God is pleased with you when you're in his son, Jesus. I wish you knew how significant you actually were when you're in Christ Jesus. I wish you knew how significant you were to Jesus. I just wish that you all knew how significant the work that God has called you to do is. And I, I just wish that you would never wear the mask of insignificance today ever again because it is with muchness that God is pleased with the position that you're working in. It is with muchness that God God is pleased with the vision that you have for your life. It is with muchness that God is pleased with the mundane activities of your life. It is with muchness that God is pleased with your insignificance. You'll never understand the great degree to which God is pleased with you. And why is he pleased with you? Because of his great pleasure with his son, Jesus Christ, who lives inside of you. See, every great event turns on a small hinge and i'm closing see the gospel was first introduced into japan through a portion of scripture floating onto the shores and it was picked up by a japanese gentleman and he began to read that portion of scripture and afterwards he sent for a whole bible and he was instructed by missionaries but the first time that the scriptures were ever introduced was by just a little portion of the scriptures floating on to the beach. When the queen of Korea lost her child by death, a slave girl in the palace told her of heaven where her child was going. And of the savior who would take her there. Thus, the little captive girl, the little maid, she introduced the gospel to the country of Korea. The success of missionaries in Toluga in India depended on the fact 
that an engineering student, when he was in college, he got a contract to go build some buildings in India on a canal. And it was during a famine, but he was able to provide employment for thousands of laborers. And because of that engineering degree that he got, he got the opportunity to go and go build on this canal. And because of that, he was able to preach John 3.16 every single day to his thousands of workers on their lunch break. And the result of that in India was that he baptized over 10,000 converts in one year. And it was because of the insignificant work that he did every day while he was in college, writing papers, reading pages of books, uh, studying engineering. It was because of the mundane things that he did that he was able to secure that contract to build on the canal in India. And 10,000 people were saved and now have a relationship with Jesus Christ. I'm here to tell you today that the insignificant stuff in your life matters to God. So you can take off the mask of insignificance and believing that what you do has no weight. Believing that the things that you're entangled with don't carry any significance. God is saying to you today that I'm going to use every single thing in your life to bring me glory. God's going to use everything that he has in his hand to bring glory to his name. That includes your broken relationship. That includes your uncertainty about your job. That includes your distress about where you're going to live. God is using all of these things for his glory. And ultimately, he's going to use the small, insignificant people like us to make a great difference in the world. Won't you trust Jesus today? Won't you put your faith in the man who created the heavens and the stars, all that the earth contains? but still found time to care about you, his most prized possession. Won't you turn to Jesus today? Know that he cares for you. If there's someone under the sound of my voice that doesn't know Jesus today, we want to invite you into a relationship with him. We'll talk with you. We'll, we'll tell you about what that means to, to walk with Jesus, to live for Jesus. We'll tell you all about that. But if you want to put your faith in him today, I just ask that you would just slip up your hand and we'll, we'll come find you. We'll come pray for you. If you're in here today and you just want to trust Jesus for your significance so that you don't have to lean on anything else for you to feel significant. You can lean solely on Jesus. And he provides you with all the significance that you'll ever need. Father, thank you for your word. Thank you for these, your people.
God, I pray, Lord, that you would be exalted, God, in all the earth, God. And that we might know that there's not one portion of our lives that you don't want to use for your exaltation. There's not one segment in our lives that you aren't redeeming for yourself. God, would you redeem every broken place in our life? Would you redeem every hurt in our life, every pain, God? And God, we know that you're ultimately using it for your glory. And Father, it's in Jesus' name that I pray with thanksgiving, knowing that you'll accomplish everything that you said you would do. And that we have all significance in you. Help us take off the mask. In Jesus' name, amen.